Today we uh, come to part two in our Everyday Gospel series uh, in our money edition. Well, we, we did a, a relationship edition back in February, and then in July we did the self edition. Right now we're in the money edition, and then we're getting to the life edition later on uh, this fall. Um, this will be the second time, I think, that I have taught at Riverwood on giving. And I'm pretty sure none of you were at the first time. And to be quite honest, I'm really glad you weren't there for the first time because it went really, really bad. Uh, it was uh, at our third preview service. We hadn't even launched publicly yet. And we were meeting at the uh, WSR Middle School. And on that fateful night, everything seemed to go wrong. Uh, for instance, the guy that we borrowed our sound system from, we, we hadn't gotten our system yet, and so we borrowed the sound system, and he forgot to set us with the power cables for the speakers and the soundboard. Thankfully, one of the middle school teachers showed up a few minutes early, and he ran to his office, grabbed some cables, and so minutes before we're supposed to begin, we're plugging the speakers and soundboards. We didn't have time to run sound checks. And about 10 minutes before we're supposed to begin, our worship guy finally showed up, but it turned out he would lost his voice the night before, so he brought along a friend, but this friend had a very, very different vocal range than normal people. And so everyone either was singing an octave too high or an octave too low, and it made it even more awkward. Plus, the guy who lost his voice was playing the acoustic guitar, and he forgot the cable that went from his acoustic guitar to plug into the system. So in the cavernous cafeteria of the middle school, you could not hear the guitar. You could only hear the one vocal. And probably most awkward of all, was that the guy who was coming from Cedar Rapids, Iowa to bring up a projector that a church down there was going to let us borrow for the night. He had a psychotic episode on the way up and ended up in the mental health wing and never actually made it to the middle school. So we had no projector. So you couldn't see the lyrics to be able to sing the songs. And of course the worship guy, he loved hymn-like songs. And so like by verse three, no one knows what to sing except him, but he has no voice. And so the guy next to him stumbling his way through, it was awkward and hard. So my mind is racing. Why is all this happening? What is going on? I'm praying like crazy. And then I go up to get ready to do my sermon and I realize I can't show the video that I had that was going to set up my entire talk on giving. Like this video was just gonna be so perfect and it was gonna just illustrate everything and it was just gonna make the point, touch people's heart that they'd be ready to listen to me. And I knew that my perspective on giving was just gonna wow people and they just couldn't wait to be part of Riverwood. But because my mind was racing all over the place, it was probably the worst sermon I have ever given. Like, it was so bad that I not only looked out and I could see everyone was incredibly bored, I realized I'm bored. Like, I don't even like my own message. Like, it was so painful. I almost just stopped and said, guys, I am so sorry. And now looking back, I wish I would have, because that would have been the polite thing to do to those who were getting out there Sunday evening to come. It was awful, and I am not exaggerating at all. In fact, we had about 50 people at that third preview service wondering, is this a church I want to get involved with when it launches publicly? And at our fourth preview service, we only had two families return. In fact, one family had been with us for about three, four months investigating if this is the church they wanted to help start, and after that night, they told me, Aaron, you are not a very good preacher, and we don't think you're called to plant a church. We're out. So you, you wouldn't blame me one bit if I was just a little nervous to talk about giving. Because the last time I did it, it was really, really bad. Now, thankfully, a lot has changed in the last five years. Uh, when, when we walked in today, we actually had the power for our sound. Uh, the projector screens actually worked. 
Um, and so far, I'm not bored yet of my message. Uh, things have improved somewhat, but one thing hasn't changed. And that's the heart of what I was trying to get at five years ago. What I really want you to hear, whether I do a good job or not, is that when it comes to giving, it is not about what the church wants from you or what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. I was just in Kenya recently, and I found out that the churches down there talk about giving a lot. Now, in their defense, Jesus talks about giving a lot. And like Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. Like if you total everything up that Jesus says according to the, the four gospels, 15% of what he says is about money. That means if a church was to talk about money 50% of the time, out of 52 weeks in a year, they should talk about money seven or eight times. However, the churches in Kenya talk about money about 20 to 30 times per year. Because it turns out that many of the churches in Kenya, the pastor receives 100% of the giving. That is his salary. So if he needs a new car, you just talk about giving, and more people give, and then he can go and purchase his new set of wheels. Now, I, I don't know of any churches in America that would take 100% of the time from the pastor. Right? Maybe, maybe there are some that, that do that, but I, I, I'm not familiar with them. However, when it comes to this topic, many of us start getting nervous because it doesn't feel like it really is about what God wants for us. It really kind of feels like it's about the church saying what they need from us. And sometimes it's for really, really good things. It, it, it could be for a new building. It could be for outreach program. It could be equipment for the kids. I mean, it could be for some really necessary stuff. But sometimes the approach feels like they just are wanting something from us, that we really just exist to help pay their bills. And, and it stops being about our growth to follow Jesus. That's why I'm so glad that today, as I talk about this, Riverwood is in a really good spot financially. We are not so wealthy that we just rely on our bank account. We're at a place where we have to be on our knees and continue to pray and trust God. And yet, we're also not wondering if we're gonna be able to pay the, month, uh, the, the rent next month. We're not on the verge of shutting down. We're in a great spot. Plus, we're not starting a capital campaign today to start uh, for a new building. We do sense as an elder team that kind of what's next for us is to find our own spot. But, but we don't have that worked out yet. We also have the equipment that's working right now We've invested in, in the, you know, being able to do ministry here. We're in a good spot. So today, I am not asking you to contribute to something specific. Because what I really want you to hear today is it's not what we want from you. It is what God wants for you. And I think what God wants for you is a financial freedom and a financial peace. I think what God wants is for you to truly not depend on your bank account, but to rather depend upon your heavenly Father. Today, what we're going to see is for us to find that kind of financial freedom, that kind of financial peace, it is God asking us to give in six different ways. And he asks us to give not because he needs something from us. Trust me, he is not needing to build a bigger mansion, so he needs us to give more funds to him. He's doing just fine. The reason he wants us to give in these six ways is because it's going to help lead us to that freedom, to that peace, to that joy so that our source of joy isn't in how much money we have or in how much we don't have. Our source of joy is truly Jesus. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would take this message and do with it what you need to do, that you would lead and guide and direct us to understand your heart when it comes to money, because you talk about this a lot. 
Um, Father, I just uh, admit, confess, I have not talked about money enough. And so I just ask that you would forgive me and that you would uh, right now disciple all of us, no matter where we are at in our spiritual journey. I pray right now for the people who have been following you for a long time but really haven't been giving, and it's because they've been nervous to feel like people just want something from them. But today, they've been challenged in the right way to truly surrender to you in all areas, that they would give you everything and nothing less. I pray for the person that is here today that has never put their faith in you, that as they hear this talk on money, they would not hear uh, just a, a greedy pastor wanting uh, more from them, but instead they begin to realize your heart, that really what you ask us to do in giving is only in the template and pattern of Jesus who gave everything for us. And you are not calling us to do anything different than what you have done because you went so much farther than any of us have ever gone. So Father, today would you open our eyes, help us to radically generous givers so that our faith is truly in you, not in our income. So, Father, take this and do it for what you need to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible today, would you go ahead and open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Um, if you do not have a Bible, I've got the scripture up on the screen, so you're going to be able to read along with us. But I'm going to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, would you just stop back by our Given Road table? We've got two different translations back there. We'd love to just give that to you as a gift. Uh, take it, and that way when you come back to Riverwood, you can open it up with us, because this is what we do every single week. Uh, also, if you just forgot your Bible, any week, just feel free to just pick that up, take that, and uh, use that for the Sunday. But also, if you've got a digital Bible, if you've got a Bible on your phone, feel free to pull that out. At Riverwood, we are totally fine with that. And if you don't have a Bible on your phone, download one to it. That way, wherever you go with your phone, you've always got a Bible available to you. So uh, today, is, we're in 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, normally, when we do talk about giving at Riverwood, we talk about giving your fist, your finances, your influence, your skills, and your time. F-I-S-T. These are things that we often try to hold on to keep for ourselves. But I think for us to truly follow Jesus, it means we've got to open up our hands and be generous. And it's not just a money thing. It's being generous with our finances, but also our influence, our skills, and our time. To truly say, God, everything is yours, nothing less. It all belongs to you. But today, we're going to see Paul primarily talks about money. Yes, there's other things in there that allude to these other ideas of influence, skills, and time. But he talks primarily about money, so that's what we're going to focus on today. However, just because he spends the majority on finances doesn't mean you can't take the same principles and apply it to how you use your influence, to how you use your skills, and to how you use your time. So with that, let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, feel free to read silently along as I read aloud. Chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
Um, in these uh, six verses here, I see five ways that God calls us to give. We're going to see a sixth way a little later down in verse 15. But in these top six verses, we're going to see five ways. The first way I see is that generously. Number one is generously. So if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, this is in your notes, you can fill that in. The first one is generously. Notice verse 6. Paul says that the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I like that he put this in farming language. Uh, here in Iowa, we kind of understand this and get this. Like, if you want to have bushels and bushels and bushels of, of corn or soybeans, you, you, you can't just go out and plant, like, a, a dozen seeds or a dozen kernels. It, it doesn't work that way. Like, if you want bushels and acres, you got to go out and plant bushels and acres. The more you sow, the, the more you'll, you'll reap. But the, the, the inverse is true. The, the, the less you sow, the less you'll be able to reap. But the same goes with your finances. The more generous you are with your finances, the more generous God is going to be with you. And we're going to talk about this a, a little more later, but we do need to at least just address it here. There are some people that take these verses and they twist them, and they basically try to turn God into a get-rich-quick scheme. Like, he, he, he's a Ponzi investment opportunity. Like, like, if you just invest in God, like, if you give this amount, he's going to turn around and give you all of this. All right, we're, we're going to talk about that more, but that's not what Paul is trying to get at. What Paul is trying to get at is God wants you to be generous. And as you are generous, he will pour more through you because he knows you will continue to be generous. All right, so the first thing we need to do is give generously. The second way we need to give is to give prayerfully. To give prayerfully. Look there at verse 7, the very first phrase. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. As I was working on this passage, I thought about using the word thoughtfully. We should give thoughtfully. Or then I thought, well, maybe it's give intentionally. But then I realized, no, it actually should be we need to give prayerfully. Not because it's a more churchy word or makes me sound more pastoral, but because if you are a Jesus follower, to truly decide something in your heart means you are submitting it in prayer. You are, are giving it to God, and you're asking for wisdom, and you're saying, what should I do? That's why I remember when, whenever we take a, a special offering, whether it be like our, our annual Christmas uh, impact gift or when we sometimes do things like disaster relief, we usually try to give you at least a week's advance notice. We, we try, try to give you a heads up, say, hey, here's what we're going to do. That gives you a week to pray and say, all right, God, what should I give? Do you want me to give to this? And if so, how much? That's what we want. Uh, this past week when Jake and I were, were meeting, uh, you know, all right, we're going to be talking about uh, giving, and I hadn't fully settled yet on my passage, so we were reading some passages together, and we read this, and it's like, oh, yeah, this, this is it. we gotta, we got to teach from this passage. And all of a sudden, Jake stops us. So, Aaron, are you a 10%er? Meaning, do you believe in the 10% tithe? Because there are people who will say, you have to give 10%. If you're giving less than 10%, you are being unfaithful. And, and I looked at like, uh, dude, it says right there, you know, to decide in your heart. Like, no, I'm, I'm not a 10%er. I really believe that as you prayerfully ask God, what is it that I should give? He will lead you and guide you. But it just has to be generous. That if you truly pray and are saying, God, everything is yours and nothing less, I'm going to give it all to you. And if God says, all right, here's where I want you to be, and it's less than 10%, I can't sit there and tell you, you're in sin. You were wrong. But I am going to say this. I feel like 10% is actually a good starting point. Part of the reason 
said, I don't want to be a 10%er, is so many people use 10% as the stopping point. It's like, I give myself up to 10%, ah, now I'm a good, faithful Christian. But if you look at what Jesus does through grace, he rarely gets us to a point and says, all right, stop there. He usually takes it further. For, for instance, when he does the Sermon on the Mount, he, he would refer back to law. He'd say, you've heard it said, and then he refers back to something in the law. So like, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But then Jesus takes it further and goes, but I tell you, you should not even say evil words to someone. You should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. you you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, you shouldn't even lust after someone else. And so when I think it comes to giving, I, I think we can go along the same line. You've heard it said, you should give 10%. But I tell you, you can give more. Why stop at 10? Why not be generous and do 11? Why not 15? Why not 25? <laughs> Did you know there are people who are reverse tithers? Meaning, rather than give 10% and live on 90, they give 90 and they live on 10%. That's why I'm not a 10%er. Because if you pray, seek out God, and you sense him saying, I want to stretch you, I want to challenge you, I want you to give generously. And for you, that generously is 15%. You obey and you go for it. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit more. But we are to give generously and we are to give prayerfully. The third thing I see is that we are to give willingly. We are to give willingly. Uh, the middle phrase there in verse 7 says that we are to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. Uh, married ladies, how much of you would enjoy it if your husband walked in the door and he brings in a vase of flowers? But rather than come up to you and give you a little kiss and say, I love you, he slams the vase on the kitchen table and says, there you go, hope you like it. And he walks out. Yeah, you'd be going, what did I do? Because honestly, you don't really want the flowers, you want your husband's heart. That's what God wants from you. He doesn't want you giving, okay, fine, you want 10%, I'll just give you 10%. No, he wants you giving willingly. Christ gave his life for you. And so he's purchased you, meaning everything that you have belongs to him. And so you can't get in a huff when God says, all right, I want you to give more than 10%. I want you to give 12%. I want you to do 13 and a half this next year. And you can't go, oh, fine. You need to give it willingly. But with that, you also need to give it cheerfully. You need to give it cheerfully. Because that third phrase there says uh, that for God loves a cheerful giver. There is a joy in giving. If, if our heart is set on our money, it's really hard to have joy. But if our heart is set on Jesus, it's a lot easier to give this past week, I, uh, no, sorry, about three weeks ago, I was on Right Now Media for something else. For those of you who don't know, Right Now Media is a, um, uh, I guess you could say it's like an online Bible study, kind of like Netflix for, for Bible studies. And uh, here at Riverwood, we subscribe to that. It's a free a login for all of our church family. So if you want one, we'd be glad to give you one. Just give us your email address, and, and Right Now Media will not spam you, nor will we. Your information won't be sold, but you would now have access to just countless numbers of Bible studies. And so I was on right now media for something else, and all of a sudden the thought came to me, hey, I'm going to be teaching about giving in just a few weeks. I wonder if they would have some good, like, downloadable video illustrations. And so I found one. It was excellent. It, it was going to make my point perfectly. But I thought, you know, that's three weeks away. I might change my mind. Let's, let's wait. If I decide I still want it, I'll go download it the week of. Well, sure enough, this week, as I'm working on my message, I think it was Thursday, 
that, that, that illustration, that video, that would work perfectly. So I went back to Rhino Media to go get it, and it wasn't there. I did not know, but they removed stuff. Like it, I could not find it again. I searched and I searched and I searched. I even went to YouTube and other places. I'm like searching everywhere I could to try to find this video, and I could not find it. And I really wish I could show you because it illustrated cheerful giving perfectly. It was a story of a Nigerian immigrant who immigrated way back in her 20s, but now she's in her like late 50s or 60s. Her husband had passed away. Her kids were grown, and she was working in a bakery. And she wasn't making a ton of money, but she was so thankful for what she did have. But she was driving in an old car, and it was coming to the end of its life, and she knew she was going to need to replace it. And next week, we're going to talk about saving, and this woman began to implement many of this, the things we're going to talk about next week. She began to save, and she got herself up to about $5,000. But she knew that to get the kind of quality used car she wanted, she really felt she needed to save $10,000. So she's working hard on it. But then one day, this bakery worker meets a fellow widow, and this fellow widow was on the verge of losing her apartment, of losing electricity, water, like losing everything, because she couldn't make these payments and these bills. Suddenly, the bakery worker felt God say to her, I want you to give your car fund. And she did. She talked about generous. And it was prayerful. She did it willingly, and she also did it cheerfully. But that's not where the story stops. She gave this money to this widow, saved her, and then she's like, all right, God, I'll just trust you to keep my car running. Well, someone from this uh, bakery worker's church found what she had done in secret. And went home and told her husband, you're not going to believe what this woman did. She gave her entire car fund to help a, a fellow widow. And so she can't replace her car now. And the husband heard it and says, well, we got to do something about that. And so the husband and wife are like, we need to buy her a car. So they go to the dealership where one of their fellow small group members from their church was a salesman. And they said, here's the story. We want to help. The salesman hears it and says, I want to help too. I want to be a part of this. And as they sat at the table of the dealership, they realized, why are we going to let just us be a part of this? We need to invite our whole entire small group. So right there at the car dealership, they get on the horn and they start calling all of their small groups. And within about five, 10 minutes, they had not just raised the $5,000 to replace what was lost. They hadn't just raised $10,000 so that they could buy her a good quality used car. They raised so much money that they bought her a brand new car. And the cameras were there when they delivered the keys to her. Now, the thing that would stick out is the, the woman's just humble response. She's in tears. She can't believe it. And, and she's hugging everyone and thanking them. That's not what I wanted to show you. What I wanted you to see was the small group. Because they all showed up at the bakery, and they're all standing around, and as the keys are being handed to her, and she starts crying, they all start crying tears of joy. They all start laughing. They had so much joy in being able to give such a lavish gift to their friend, because they had seen her generosity, and it moved them to be generous. There is joy in giving. When we try to hold on to these things, we are actually robbing ourselves of joy. It, if you are a parent, you know the joy of giving your child a really special gift. You know they're going to love it. And so you give it, and you sit there, and you've got all this anticipation that they're unwrapping it. Stop holding on. Give. Give generously, prayerfully, willfully, and cheerfully. But there's another area that we need to give. We need to give trustfully. We need to give trustfully. Look there at verses uh, 8 through 11. 
uh, Paul writes, and, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I have heard some TV evangelists take these verses right here and twist them. They've actually said, you need to give a seed gift. If you send us your seed gift, God will take that seed and multiply it to you. And so if you will send us a seed gift of $100, we promise God will give you $1,000 in return. And if you send us a seed gift of $10,000 to our ministry, we will not only send you this free little book, but God will also send you $100,000. Like that, that's what they teach. Because it says that he who gives uh, seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. But that's stopping with what God, what, uh, God, I think, is trying to truly say here. Paul is saying, God is more interested in your spiritual health than your financial health. Because if you have everything in the world, but your heart does not belong to God, you have nothing. But if you're in poverty, and yet your heart rejoices in God, that even the little you have, you give, God rejoices in that. You need to give trustfully. Because as you give, you reduce your dependence upon your bank account and you increase your dependence upon God. And that's what he's getting at. Because notice what, what he says there, back in verse 8. He says that you, you need to give so that you may abound in every good work. And remember, when we talk about how God wants to make us like Christ, we are to live like Jesus lived. And so that means we need to abound in every good work. So we can't be tied down by money. We have to be free of it. Our heart cannot be wrapped up in it. And so we've got to give so that we can abound in every good work. Notice down in verse 10. He says, yes, he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He wants you to give so that you're free to be more like Christ. Because if you hang on to this money, you're now tied down to the things of this world. So God must increase your righteousness by you giving. And then in verse 11, he says that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You see, when you give something to God, it isn't so that God can just say, all right, you give me $100, I'm going to return that and give you $1,000. No, God is saying, give me this money, trust me, and I will provide more to you, because I know now you will be faithful, and you will continue to be generous with others. When Leanne and I lived in uh, Denver, Colorado, I was the worship director of the small little church plant, and about... Uh, two years in, our pastor decided our church wasn't growing fast enough. So what we needed to do was buy land and build a building. Now, I was only being paid a part-time salary, even though I was getting about full-time hours. And I was trying to work some side jobs. But just to, to be honest, we were, we were poor. Right? We, here was the standard of living, and we, we were under it. And it was really, really hard. In fact, I heard a comedian a, a few uh, months ago say that he grew up in the ghetto, and he was pulled. He was so poor that couldn't even afford an R. Like, that was us. We were so poor, we couldn't even afford the R. We know in months where we had no, uh, we couldn't pay our mortgage. Uh, some weeks we were going to the food bank. And it was incredibly stressful. We were, we was 
Oh. So when the pastor announces this capital campaign, Leanne and I are looking at each other like, we're not even making a tweet. Like, we depleted our savings by coming here. We've given everything. We have nothing left. And then it dawned on us. The church had a keyboard. I, I played piano. So the church had a keyboard. That's what I used to lead worship. My own personal keyboard just sat in the case. And we realized, we've got the church's keyboard. This one's just sitting around. So we ended up selling that and gave that money to the church. And we thought that was it. That, that was a big step. I loved that keyboard. I missed that thing. So we gave it. Gave the money. Thought, all right, we did our part. But then God put on both my heart and Leanne's heart completely separate. We were to give $100 a month. We did not have an extra $100 a month. Uh, like God may as well have just said, you know what? I, I want you to, uh, I, I want you to just give a hundred thousand dollars. It was going to be impossible. There was no way in the world we could do it. But God called us to it. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, "If it's God's will, it's God's bill." And so, all right, we'll give a hundred dollars a month. We had no idea how it would work, but we thought we'll do it. So, wrote the check. We gave it, and at the end of the month. Somehow, we were able to pay our mortgage, and we had some food. So the next month, we wrote the chapter. And again, at the end of the month, somehow, some way, we had what we needed. And this just kept happening. And I, even Leanne and I were talking about this yesterday. She says, all I remember about those days is you look at our expenses, and you look at you know uh, our, our income, and you look at it and go, this should not be working. And yet, somehow, it worked. So we continued to faithfully give $100. Now, God did not just miraculously give us a million dollars, but he helped us be able to have food each month. We paid our mortgage. We had gas for the car. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. So from personal experience, I tell you, you can trust God. So if you prayerfully hear God saying, I want you to generously give this, then give it. And you trust him provide for your needs as he uses you to be a blessing to others as you give generously. And then there's one more spot. And that is to give sacrificially. The last one in the sixth way is to give sacrificially. Skip all the way down to verse 15, the last verse of uh, chapter 9. Verse 15 just simply says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible now, Paul writes that verse right after a lot of talk about, hey, when you give, God will give back to you. So you might think that the gift that God gives you is that return. That as you, you give generously, as you sow bountifully, he will help you reap bountifully. He will give back to you. You think that's the gift. But I'll say this. If God said, you know what, Aaron, you've been faithful with a little. I'm going to give you a lot. Here is a million dollars. I would be blown away. I, like, immediately, I start thinking of all the things that we could do with it. For, for Riverwood, for ministry, to do all these things, you know, take care of some stuff personally. It, it would be fantastic. But I could express it. I, I could express to you, here's a million dollars. Here's where the money has gone. I think the inexpressible gift is Jesus. Because every single week that I have the opportunity to preach... I am trying to help you capture the beauty and power of the gospel. I keep drawing your attention to Jesus, and yet every week I still fall woefully short. 
If you are a Jesus follower, you are going to have all of eternity to try to figure out this gospel. And I don't think we will ever fully plumb the depth of it. It is inexpressible. It is indescribable. It is inconceivable. It is so mind-blowing that we can't fully comprehend it. That is the inexpressible gift. And what is the inexpressible gift? It's Jesus dying on a cross. He gave sacrificially. He gave everything and nothing less. And if we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, it means we need to give like Jesus gave. We need to give sacrificially. And maybe you're thinking, so Aaron, you've already talked about this. You know, the very first thing was you need to give generously. There's a difference between giving generously and giving sacrificially. When Bill Gates gives a million dollars, that's generous. But he doesn't feel it. But the average American makes $47,000 per year. If they gave $10,000, they would feel it. There's a difference between generous and sacrificial. Jesus points this out as he is standing at the temple one day. This comes from Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The rich people who came through, they were giving generously. Many of them were giving willingly. Some of them were maybe even giving cheerfully. And you can even argue that maybe they're even giving trustfully. But they were not giving sacrificially. But this widow, who has next to nothing, gets everything. It's only worth a penny. But that's all she had. To her, that was giving generously. It was giving prayerfully. It was giving willingly. It was giving cheerfully. Trustfully. It was also giving sacrificially. And the reason Jesus stands there and praises it and points it out is because that is what he was about to do just a couple months or years later. <coughs> he went to the cross to give of himself generously. He gave prayerfully, as we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before he was arrested and tried and executed. He gave willingly. He was not forced to come to earth. He wanted to come and do this. He even gave cheerfully. There was no joy within the cross itself, but it tells us in Hebrews chapter two, uh, 12, chapter 2, that, it, uh, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So ultimately, he was doing it cheerfully. He was doing it trustfully. He said, I lay down my life willingly, and no one can take it up except me. He trusted that he would come back to life. But the best way to describe Jesus' gift is to say it was sacrificial. So will you be like the widow? Will you give like Jesus? Will you give generously? Will you give prayerfully? Will you give willingly? Will you do it cheerfully? Will you give trustfully? Will you give knowing that all you have belongs to him so you can give sacrificially?
Because whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Heavenly Father, I want to see us as a church family abound in every good work. But I know for that to happen, we cannot be, have our hearts tied to money. Father, money is such a personal thing. Many of us in this room spend a lot of time thinking about it, dwelling on it. For some of us, we think about it because we don't have enough. Others of us, we've been blessed, and, and yet we, we look at where we need to invest and will we have enough for retirement. Uh, money consumes so much of who we are. And yet, God, you don't want us to let money become our God and receive all of our attention. You want to be our God. So, God, I pray you'd help us to be free of the entrapment of finances that we would truly find a freedom, we would truly find a peace. And to find that, we ask us to give. So I pray that you would give us courage. Give us the courage to give generously. Lord, help us to pray and we truly submit to willingly and cheerfully give whatever it is you ask of us. Help us to trust you, even when you ask us to give an incredible sacrificial amount. Because God, you don't need anything from us. You don't need our finances. Everything is already yours. You want us to do this for ourselves. Because as we give, we become more like Christ. And that's what this world desperately needs. So Lord, would you just continue to change us? Would you change us by helping us to give? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.